So, lots to uh, unpack, as usual. Uh, first, today's learning should be a zechos on Leah Neshama for Chai Sarabas Eliezer, the mother of uh, Linda Fields, and also should be a zechos for Meira Bas Martin, who is uh, Linda Markowitz's mother, and Benjamin Avram Ben Maisha, who's David Markowitz's uh, uh, father. So, Neshama Shevnaliyah, family in Nechama. Huh? On this, aha. Gotta push the. Okay. All right, so um, we usually just start the part you got into it. About a couple weeks ago, we ended uh, our time, and it's very hard to finish the parsha. And Rabbit's and Shu was like, what about the, the next part of the parsha? So we, we got a divar turn on that. So maybe what we could do each week. Thank you so much. Wow. Without even asking. The. Uh, <laughs> Um, maybe we'll go over, just mention the main topics that the parsha going to cover, and then we'll start. At least, you know, we'll just mention what the topics are, the main theme that comes up in, in this week's parsha. So this week, uh, what I was able to break it down to is to 12 uh, main ideas that we're going to be, uh, that the parsha covers. And parsha Baleischa. So our parsha begins by Hashem commanding Aaron and the Kohanim in the preparation and the lighting of the menorah. Okay, it also gets into not only the preparation, but how the, you know, we, somebody mentioned a few weeks ago the Dvartaira of all the wicks facing towards the center. We'll focus a little bit on that. Uh, after we mention what the Kohanim need to do, we're going to get into the Avoda of the Levium, what the Levium were involved in, and, uh, and how they themselves were sanctified in order to work in the Beis HaMikdash as well. So we have the Kohanim, the Levium, which uh, many of us, I'm not included in. Somebody asked me this morning if all Tendlers are related. Because it's not such a common name. And there's another Tendler in town who davens in Nusachari, but he's a Kayan. So, so either, so either uh, I don't know if he wants to be related to me. <laughs> Maybe I want to be related to him, but I don't know if he wants to be related to me. Um, huh? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Right. Uh, the, uh, yeah, it's interesting. That's the the well-known Cohen joke, right? The Cohen come, some guy comes to shul, he comes to a rabbi, and he says, "I want to be a Cohen." The rabbi says, "No, can't make you a Cohen." He says, "For fifty thousand dollars, I want to be a Cohen." He says, "Why do you want to be a Cohen?" He says, "My father's a Cohen." He says, "For fifty thousand dollars, I'll figure it out." You know, fifty thousand. You're a Cohen anyway. Okay, fine. So, so we the the halachas of the priest, the kohanim, the levim. <clears throat> then the parsha gets into the bringing of the carbon pesach. We're also going to get into the Fascinating situation of something called Pesach Sheni, a second sacrifice. If somebody doesn't have the ability to bring a first Pesach, a Jew, which is a very important message, if we get there as we go through, it's the, the just to say this: a Jew is never out of the game. That's Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni is there's it's, it's you're you're never out of it. I think it's one of the in at least my view of of um, Yiddishkeit. It's one of the it's to me the greatest Chesed. That Hakadosh Baruch Hu created the world with, that it is absolutely impossible to ever be done. You, you're never kicked out of the game. It's impossible. It's an impossibility, just by the definition of how the Torah functions. So, 21 years ago, yeah, um, you, you weren't here. Husband... I wasn't born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said I wasn't born. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. I was extremely ill, and he was intubated. Was right before Pesach, so he came home. 
Pesach Shein, beautiful, beautiful. Yep. Okay. Um, so we have Pesach, Pesach Sheni, and then after that, Hakadosh Baruch Hu commands Moshe to make these trumpets out of silver and to use them for the traveling and the encampment, so on and so forth. Uh, then we have Klal Yisrael actually traveling. Then there's a parsha in and of itself of Vayib and So Aaron Vayomer Moshe, something that's uh, verses that we say whenever we take the Torah out of the uh, Aron Kodesh. It has the upside down nuns bracketing it in. We'll notice that as you go through the parsha. A lot of tire in that. Um, and then we complain. All right, uh, sounds familiar uh, about the meat that we used to have in in Mitzrayim. The we get into the mun. The mun came. What the man looked like, what it tasted like. Um, interesting, uh, right? The slav. The it's it's interesting conversation. What bracha? What blessing did they make on man? It's an interesting. There's there's a there's a whole halachic conversation. It seems the general consensus, just to mention this, is that they made the blessing of hamotzi lechem and hashemayim, that uh, the God who brings bread bread from heaven, um, which is which. Which was nature. See, many of us view the man as a miracle. We say, oh, the manna came from heaven, it was a miracle. In those times, it wasn't a miracle. You understand, a few years into the man, it miracle is something that no longer seems like, it's not nature, so it seems like a miracle. Once you have a miracle so many times, that is now nature. So in the desert, there were people who were 39 years old walking into the land of Israel, never having seen food grow from a ground. It was food came from heaven and water came from the earth. That was the nature in the desert. And we entered the land of Israel. Nature changed for them. And they couldn't understand that rain comes from heaven and food grows from the ground. It was beyond, it was something... And the same way we make a bracha of Amaisi Lechem in Aretz, God who brings forth bread from land. So for us, that's, yeah, I mean, bread, right? You process, it comes from land. So that's nature. If anybody who was born in the desert, they, they had no concept of, of food growing from the land. It wasn't, and the blessing was, thank you, Hashem, for bringing me bread from heaven. Bread comes from heaven and food, food comes from down. Well, so, yeah. Okay. They grow on the shelf. There you go. <laughs> right. Food grows on the shelf. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, and then we have um, again com- uh, we have the Tlunais Mezol complaints of Bnei Yisrael. Hashem. The, the then we get into the Slav. We have Eldad and Medad um, who went out and they prophesied in the camp. What we call the this thing of uh, this uh, idea the Sugya. Of Kivrei Satava, and then finally Miriam and Aaron speaking Lashon Hara about uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, and Miriam is punished with Tsaras, a lot to unpack. Those are the twelve primary topics, and let us now, with that, uh, with that introduction, start to go through the parsha. So here we go. We're going to begin with the um, the menorah and the the Kohen uh, lighting the menorah. So by Daber Shama Moshe Lemar, God. Spoke to Moshe to say, to tell over. Dabar al-Aron va'amarta ilov. Speak to Aaron, say to him, speak is firmly. Say is softly. Okay? So Dabar al-Aron, you're going to speak to Aaron, va'amarta ilov, but then you're going to soften up. 
you're going to say Ba'alotzchas when you lift up the candles. Interestingly, it doesn't say our school will translate this as you kindle. It doesn't use the word kindle anywhere. The word kindle is not here. It says Ba'alotzchas from the word Aliyah to go up. When you when the candles go up, they need to face the center of the menorah. The wicks needed to face the center stem. Right, there were three on each side and one and one in the center. <clears throat> that is how the uh, the seven branches need to be lit. Okay, so the Gemara asks, what's with the lighting of candles? What's this whole idea? When it comes to a person who passes away, they have something called a yard side candle. Yard side candle, right? So we know that the neshama is connected to a flame. Ner Hashem nishmas adam, the flame of Hashem is the neshama of a person, which is a way that we connect. A flame is actually something, it's the only thing that a physical person can grasp in concept, even though it's not really physical. You can't touch a flame, you can't do anything. You can feel a flame, you get burnt by a flame. I clearly know it exists, but I can never grasp it. It is intangible. So a flame in a, in a very true way is something that is physical, but is so, it's something that's spiritual. It really can't be touched, but it's clearly physical. It's something that a physical entity can completely grasp. And the neshama is the same thing, right? We know we're not our bodies. We know we're a neshama. That's, that's, that's how it is. And uh, we're a neshama. That's a reality in this, uh, in this physical entity. Okay, so we're lighting this flame in the temple. And this flame was lit every evening. Every evening. That's when the menorah was lit. People aren't aware of this, but the menorah was lit before sundown and uh, during the night. That's usually when it was lit. So... The, uh, the Gemara asks, Does God need light? Like, See, light came from candles. Nowadays we have electricity. But in the Beis HaMikdash, we picture the Beis HaMikdash like there was electricity. <laughs> There's no electricity in the, in the temple. So the, men, the menorah gave light. So the, and there were, Shlomo HaMalach set up like 10 menorahs throughout. There were, there were lights throughout. But says the Gemara like, it seems like Hashem is showing us to light a menorah. So there should be light in order to work, right? Does God need us to give Him light in His house? A very practical type of question. Um, Rabbi Hanin, Rabbi Hanina says, "Listen to this. Just blow, blow your mind. How many colors are in the eye? Colors are very deep. It's a very deep thing. What goes on with colors? Okay." How many colors are in the eye? Physically, like for us, when we look at each other. Huh? Three sometimes. Right? Three, right? You could, right. The, the light could, refl- could give off a number of colors, but the eye itself, you're going to have white, you're going to have black, and then, and then you'll have, right? You'll have brown, you'll have darker and lighter, we'll call it, and then uh, uh, maybe one or two other colors, depending on, on genetics and things of that sort. You have light and dark, but we'll call lavan and shachar, white and black. Where do you see from? And you can't see from the white in your eye. 
You can only see from the darker parts of your eye. By the way, uh, Rabbi Pesach Kron mentions that every time you look at somebody, it's a beautiful idea. When you look at somebody in the eye, what do you see? You in miniature. You ever look at somebody in the center of the eye? It says, you know why Kodesh Baruch made it like that? Because that's how we're supposed to interact with each other. When you're looking at somebody, you're supposed to see yourself as small and them as big. So you, you see your reflection in small. If you look in anybody else's eyes, you will see a miniature version of you. I see a, like a mini me as I'm looking at you. It's fascinating. It's, a, it's, a, it's so interesting. It's really interesting. So you, there, there's dark and there's light. There's dark and there's light. We can't see from the white. We see from the dark. The dark parts of our eyes where we see from. Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What is God telling us by this biology? What's he telling us by this? See if you want to see me. If you want to really connect with me. You know how you connect with me through the darker part of your eye. What do you mean darker part of your eye? See, here we go. This is, this is the message of this beauty. It's beauty. There's a king. I love king parables, right? There's a king who's got a good friend. It's a regular subject. One day the king says, I got to travel with my army through town. We're old classmates from school. I want to catch up. I want to catch up. Okay, his old buddy. It's like, Psh, king's coming. So he sets his table. Doesn't have much. Doesn't have much. So what does he do? He, uh, you know, puts out a few pottery, a few pieces of pottery for bowls. Eh? Makes a few potatoes. A little bit, a couple pieces of chicken. And he's good. The king's coming. An hour before the king's supposed to arrive, the king's servants come. And they're carrying wagons, and they've got gold candlesticks, and this, and that, and tablecloths, and a gansamaisa, yeah, everything, huh? And they show up, and the guy says, wow, look at this, yeah, fit for a king. So he puts away his stuff, and he puts out all the king's uh, fancy, you know, fancy uh, cutlery and candlesticks, huh? The king shows up, and he says, oh, this all looks familiar. Looks familiar, he says, yeah, it's fit for a king, I mean, your guy has brought them here. He says, but what about the stuff that you prepared for us? He says, well, once I saw that, I'm like, yeah, I'm putting everything away. Like, what's, what's my little uh, pottery uh, thing that's, that's uh, cracked eight times? What's it got to do with anything? The king says, well, I, I was coming to visit you. I was coming to visit me. Right? I, wanna, I, wanna see, I, want, yeah, I wanna see what you have. Right? That's, I wanna connect like we were in grade school. That's the parable that the sages give us. What, what's the, what does it happen over here? It says like this. God says, I don't want you to serve me with my things. You should also. But that's not really what shows a relationship. I don't need you to serve me with the candlesticks that my messengers brought, with the gold and silver and fancy things. He doesn't need, God doesn't need this. He says, I got the, uh, this money, serve me with my things. What God wants is that we serve Him with our vessels. So listen to this, you ready? What does it mean with my vessel? God says, I gave you money. I gave you eyesight. I gave you health. I gave you legs. You're supposed to use them to serve me, but the way to really show if you're in a relationship with me is that's not the greatest way to show it. That's like using my candlesticks to honor me. However, get ready for this. 
What about if you serve me with your jealousy? When serving me with your own hatred, when you serve me with your desires, so that's you, says God. That is how you serve me. That's how you serve me. What I want, what I want, says Rabbi Shalom, I want you to serve me from the dark, not the white. What is the sages teaching me? This is beautiful, very profound, very profound. And let's reframe what, what this Medrash is telling me. The Talmud states, everything is in the hands of heaven. The most commonly, there's, it actually says twice, right? One time it says, this is not the off, this is like the baby brother one. Everything's in the hands of heaven besides for hot and cold. Which means, there's a statement in the Gemara which says, it's referring to one's health. God says, I'll give you health, but if you're dumb about it, and you walk outside in 10 degrees uh, wearing a bathing suit, that's your own thing, right? Uh, I decreed you should be healthy, but if, if that's what you did, that's what you did. Except for your own health that you're not taking advantage of. Right? So some people are like, yeah, I don't care. You could drop dead any minute, so why should I stay healthy? What's the, what's the difference? I work this thing, huh? Okay, the answer is, it's a mitzvah to stay healthy. It's a mitzvah to do your best, to try to be healthy. That's, a, that's, that's why we do it. The most common statement is, Everything's the hand of heaven, besides for Yerashimayim, except for the fear of heaven. What does it mean, the fear of heaven? It's referred to as free choice, free will. God says, everything's in my control. I'm going to control the world. But the decisions, the decisions of right or wrong, what you do with what I give you, I'm leaving that to you. I'm giving you individually a power to determine what that's going to look like. God created the world in that fashion. So he says like this, I've given you A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We discussed this last week, we discussed all the time. There's a lot that a person could look to and say, okay, that's a chesed from Hashem, it's a kindness from Hashem. Hashem says, okay, so use that kindness to serve me. But notice as well that it's nice you're serving me with that, but those are my things you're serving me with. There are certain things I don't give you, says God, and that is, Yerashamayim. You know how Yerashamayim, you know the ability to choose right and wrong? If I have feelings of jealousy, if I have feelings of desire, if I have feelings of passion, there's a reason for that. How am I going to channel it now? What am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with my feelings of jealousy? Am I going to use it to build myself from it and to become greater and better? Nobody's ever grown from anything without struggle. You cannot. Impossible. Yeah? You're all, you're, all, you're all have more years than me. What, what have we grown from that didn't take effort? Everything. It's the only things that ultimately happen. Things that take effort. Things that we, we struggled through. An experience we had. And now we walked away. At the time we weren't happy about it. But now we walked away from it. More, more advanced. More mature. More aware, of, uh, more aware of the world. So Hashem says, you know where you're going to see from. You know we're going to see the light. But just talk about see, notice. With the darkness that you have, with the the jealousy, the desire, the the times of difficulty, that's when a person comes to see Hakadosh Baruch Hu. When things are just white, you can't see. When things are white, you can't see. You're not gonna. It's not gonna develop. It's just gonna be something that's. It's just gonna be something that exists, and a person is not gonna really come to notice Hakadosh Baruch Hu. It's it's actually impossible. It's impossible. A person could say, I noticed HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
from the times that are good, that noticing helps us notice when things need to be dealt with. Let's put it like that. You can't start when times are dark. You can't. It's not like the eyeball can't have any white. No, you need an eyeball. Right? The white has no purpose. You need an eyeball has a purpose, right? That's where all the nerves are and that's where all the blood vessels and everything gets carried through to ultimately see it. But to really, really be deep in a relationship, to be in, a, in an experienced relationship with somebody, it cannot just be the makeup of a relationship. And there's symmetry in everything. This is how... And think about any relationship that you have with somebody. Somebody you like, somebody you met, you've never experienced anything with them really. You can't really be deep in a relationship with them. You can't, it's impossible. Any relationship that did not experience struggle cannot, by definition, it cannot be so deep. Can't. Not a problem. Sometimes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just the relationship doesn't experience struggle and it's going to be what it is. But think about relationships that you had to go through something with it and then you talk it through with somebody. You worked it out. You're going to see a reality now in that relationship that did not exist prior and it couldn't exist prior. It couldn't. Because I wouldn't have had the opportunity to talk this through. I couldn't have had the ability to, to work it out with you, to figure things out. You see things when there's black. Black, again, could be a, a tzara, or black could be a passion that could drive me somewhere else. God gave us passion, passion to do the right thing. We should be passionate. If, I'm, uh, if somebody, if somebody uh, hurts me by saying not nice words, hurts my feelings and whatever... And I'm Mavram so I'm like, all right, big deal. Big deal. Okay. So fine. Mavram so they say, fine. It's relaxed, working on his midas. Somebody embarrasses you publicly. And I'm like, yeah, big deal. Really? Really? That's the time to be passionate. You say, excuse me, what are you doing? You don't talk to somebody like that. Where's the dark hurts? Right? There's a, there's a time to bring out passion. And to care and be concerned, there's a time to hold it at bay. And to say, no, right now I don't. No, it's not. <laughs> it, it has to be guided properly. It has to be guided appropriately. That's the darkness that we're referring to. These decision-making abilities and the figuring of things out is where you, a person really comes to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's what Rabbi Hanina says, that does HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, does HaKadosh Baruch Hu need the light? Comes on Rabbi Hanina and he explains it's not an idea of a Kodesh Baruch Hu needing the light. This is an idea of that the Menaira which gives the light is going to represent Klal Yisrael and what we're going through as a people to be able to see a Kodesh Baruch Hu. That's, the, that's why we always had a Menaira. And when did the Menaira burn? At night. It burned in the darkness. It didn't light the Menaira during the day. The Menaira wasn't meant for the day. The Menaira was meant during, uh, uh, during the nighttime. Okay. So Aaron did this. Towards the center stem of the Menorah. They elevated the Nerois. The flames went up. As Hashem commanded Maisha. I just want to stop and think for a moment about, you know, we just, to us, Moshe and Aaron are very important names. And it's, it's a little dangerous to try to view Moshe and Aaron as people because 
as Rabbi Shlomo Freifeld, Zechariah would introduce uh, people who weren't connected to Torah, and they would come visit him in the sukkah. He was very careful to keep up very large pictures. His walls of his sukkah were decorated with gedolim pictures, mm-hmm. pictures of gedolim. And when people who weren't, when you invite people into his sukkah, and people would ask who those pictures are of, so this was one of his, apparently one of his famous quotes that he would tell people whenever they would look at a guggle picture. He would say, you're looking at an extinct species called humans. Right? Who are these? It's an extinct species called humans, right? These are people, these are the type of people that Baruch Hu intended when he made humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what, that's what he intended, right? You look at these gedailim, it's like, okay, that's, that's, uh, that's a human over there. Maisha and Aaron, for us, or for me, you have to be very delicate in how we try to understand. Like, their, their psychology, I can't, I'm, I'm unconscious the way that they would think. We don't know what they were thinking. They were far too great and far beyond my little, uh, my little grasp. But it is worthwhile to notice the setup of... The, the, the background the Torah tells us about them when Moshe is born and there's no mention of Aaron at all there's a mention of his older sister who's six years older than him so Moshe's born, he's got an older brother who's three he's got an older sister who's six she prophesizes and then he's put into the river and then he grows up in the king's palace so as Moshe's growing up in the king's palace until he's 18 he's got a Parents and a big brother and big sister that are like watching him from a distance. Aaron's like, you know, he's like, he's always had his kid brother being raised in this non-Jewish uh, environment. And then Moshe ends up leaving the country because he has to run for his life and he ends up marrying a girl from a different nation, doesn't marry a Jewish woman. Right? He ends up, the Torah wasn't given yet, so he didn't have these laws, but he ends up marrying uh, the daughter of Yisro, who was a Kohen of Udazara. And then he shows up back, and when he comes back, God's telling Moshe, who did all this, he was raised in the non-Jewish home, and he's married to a woman who's not from the Hebrews, and he's coming back now to Egypt in his late 70s to tell his older brother Aaron, who's been the one prophesizing, God said I should take the people out of Egypt. I'm the, I'm the big, uh, literally, like literally the big kahuna, I'm the pioneer, you know, I'm the... Like, I'm the one in charge. And Aaron's like, he's married to Elisheva. He's got a family of his own. He's the one been prophesizing. And his kid brother, like, shows up. Like, it's, it's interesting when you go into the, like, the structure of society at that time. And how their family was working. Obviously, again, we don't, we, we obviously, the, the mere fact that I'm mentioning to notice this is a proof that I don't get it. Is a proof, I don't get it. But then Maisha shows up and Aaron is like belave shalim, but like a total heart. Like not even an ounce, an inkling of like issues. He's like, Maisha, yeah, Shem said you should do what you should do. Like uh, it doesn't make a difference. You've been living at, you know, in the uh, non-Jewish community your whole life. Or it's, that's what it is, right? And then Maisha leads us out and he's telling Aaron, he's the one instructing Aaron how to do everything. Again, you think Aaron's like, I'm the one who went to yeshiva. I grew up around all the gedolim of, of our time, right? He had like, it's, it's really incredible. It's, it's, their own father was the Gadol Adar. Amram was the Gadol Adar. He was the son of Yocheved, who was born, you know, as they came down to Mitzrayim. Like, 
he had the greatest Rebbeim, and his, his younger brother, who never had that opportunity, is, uh, is, is you know, uh, instructing him in, in what to do. And you have this constant, you have this, like, this dynamic between them where they're complete partners. Complete partners. And the reason why I'm mentioning this whole idea is because I find this mamish happening nowadays in Klal Yisrael. Like, it's, it's you, you need to notice this in Klal Yisrael to... You need to notice this about Moshe and Aaron to know that this is this is the way for the Geula. It's like there's there's really no difference if you're connected to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, There's zero difference as to where you're coming from. It's it's what is Hashem instructing me to do? Because I went to this yeshiva, you went to that. Yaakov, you have a different. You're, like, you're you're here. Like you're Sfardi, or you're living in a different country. You're, <laughs> you know, the whole buildup of Klal Yisrael was two brothers separated, completely different backgrounds, and zero and really zero. I said separated, like physically separated, and I'm sure emotionally separated. Like how could you get so close? You know, but it's there's they don't miss a step. They, they're both completely committed to HaKadosh Baruch. Completely committed. The younger brother ends up being the, getting the higher job, so to speak. Aaron doesn't notice this. He's not noticing. Maisha is the one who doesn't have the same, uh, didn't even grow up in the home of, of Amram. He was sent away right away. Aaron's not noticing this. The terrorists let me know what's important to notice. Aaron sees Maisha Rabbeinu is devoted to HaKadosh Baruch. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? You're devoted to Gomez Baruch Hu, I'm devoted to Gomez Baruch Hu. Like, And you see for Klal Yisrael to function nowadays as a whole, that we all really come from different places with different experiences and uh, uh, different dynamics. But when, a, when a, you have a place or you have a person and there's just sincerity, that is the only way to have a gula. It's the only way. It's the only way for it to work. The only way for it to work is if there's a sincere dedication. That's it. Otherwise, like we're so, isn't it wild? Like the, you know, the 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 differences that are there. But if, if there's sincerity, then then Aaron's lighting the menorah, and we have Klal Yisrael, and Maisha's leading us, and we're complaining, and everybody, and everybody's doing their thing. You wish Aaron wishes everybody's complaining to him. Aaron wants the job, so everybody's complaining to Aaron. Right? Every, everything has its trade off. Aaron's good where he's supposed to be. Moshe's good where he's supposed to be. You know, and you find out what's going on in somebody else's position. It's like it's fine. Shalom al Yisrael. Everybody's uh, everybody's okay over here. All right. Okay. I'm not going to every last detail, even though it's, you know, we should on our own. But the uh, the menaira was one piece of gold. So the Bali Musar teach us an important idea. Menaira was elaborate. If you go through these psukim. The shapes of flowers on each branch and and the the nuggets around each uh, you know alongside along with the base it was one solid piece of gold that was beaten it wasn't allowed to be multiple pieces of gold that were then molded together afterwards this is one solid piece beaten out and and uh, into a shape uh, to a point where it was pretty it was impossible for a human to do it Maisha had to be the one. To, uh, who was instructed to create it, and he did his best, and then Akadosh Baruch Hu took care of the rest, obviously, which is a, a message that we all know. But an, uh, an important idea that Bali Musa bring out by this is, 
Why was Hashem insistent that the menorah was one solid piece of gold? Why couldn't it be just separate pieces that came together? And they, they teach us an important message, which is that the menorah represents the offshoot of Torah. Offshoot's not a good word. I just don't have a stronger vocabulary. Offshoot means... Uh, uh, let, let me articulate what I mean by offshoot. The menorah represented Torah in the Beis HaMikdash. There was also the Ark, the Arun represented Torah. Nothing else had two things representing it. Okay, Only the Torah. The Ark represented the privacy of Torah that was kept hidden. There's a very personal place in Torah that each of us have and need. And it's, it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be you. It's going to be your tire. It's going to be my tire. It's a private tire. Nobody else is ever going to be able to tap into it, nor should they want to. It's, it's, but it's, it comes from being real, it comes from being sincere, and this is, this is my tire. The Torah also needs a menorah, which, this is what I mean by offshoot, it gives light. So the word's not offshoot, but it's, it expands onto others. Okay? That's what light is. There's a, you can't just keep your Torah private. Your private Torah also has to be used in a way where it can influence the surroundings. A flame naturally influences its surroundings. That's the definition of a flame. If there's darkness and there's a flame, the flame will remove darkness. That's just the way it is. So too it is with Torah. A person who's sincere in their Torah will remove darkness from around them. It's gonna, other people will feel it. It'll, it it's going it's, it's, it's to be contagious. And it's, it's gonna, um, it'll remove darkness. So... With this concept, with this idea... The Bali Musr say, this is why the menorah had to be one piece. Because Hashem is teaching me that the Torah, which expands itself, has to all come from one core place. It cannot be divided. It cannot be divided and come from many different places. And let's articulate this idea. Rav Moshe Feinstein, Sechot Tzadik Levrotha, we have his set of responsa. Ramesha would learn with a pen. Okay, like right now we're sitting here learning. You would not find Ramesha Feinstein learning without a pen. That's how he learned. He wrote, he wrote his learning. He wrote everything. And this is why nowadays you can't argue on Ramesha. He writes down everything and his reason and proving that he's right. And he knew Kola so he's got his response, and we know why he's coming from it, and where he's going, and he had the Das Torah. There was an incident where there was another posek, I don't recall if it was in the 60s or 70s, that Rav Misha had a, uh, gave a psak, gave a ruling, um, he, gave a, uh, he gave a ruling that had a leniency about... Um, Helping couples with infertility and certain leniencies to work with, and somebody said about Ramesha, another posek said that that psak is not coming from Torah; it's coming from the medical world, because my uncle, my uncle Maish, was the head of the biology department at YU. He's a doctor, Rabbi Doctor Moshe Tendler. 
and he was Ramesha's right-hand man. So they said, Ramesha gave his psak because of what my uncle said, and therefore the ruling is not coming completely from Tyra. It's also coming from medicine. That was the knock, you understand? That was the knock. So I just want to pause. Let's, let's push pause on that for a second. Okay. What this means is, and the idea is a very true idea. It's a very true idea. What this person was accusing Ramesha of, so to speak, is something that to us seems normal. I would say, in my mind, yeah. It's like, you didn't give your, you gave your sack for medicine. Yeah, so. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? <laughs> right? Like, if that's what the doctors are saying, that's what the doctors are saying. <laughs> like, you, you have to know what's out there, right? You, you have to speak to people who are experts in different fields and find out. <laughs> so let's unpause now. That's what I would say. Rav Maisha, in an unusual fashion, wrote a very strong response to this posek, stating that his ruling on this came completely from Tyra. He says, I've never read a magazine in my life. I've never read a medical journal in my life. This psak is Kulay Tyra. And he was standing up for his ruling, not by saying what I thought he would say, <laughs> by saying, no, 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 this is Tyra. And the depth behind this is because it goes back to not that the Argadalim didn't care about medicine at all. It's not what it's about. Of course, the medicine is something very holy. Science is something holy. Math is something holy. History is holy. Everything in the world is holy. It's not a knock on anything. If the Torah is the blueprint of the world, that means that any ability for anything stems from Torah. So everything truly is, is Kadosh. Everything truly is Torah. It's very important. It's, it's very important that we teach this to our children. I, when I was uh, in teaching in the school, and I still do, I, I, I try very hard to not call anything secular studies. It's something I got from my Rebbeim. There's no such thing as secular studies. Call it general studies, if you not actually have a safer in front of you. But it's not, there's nothing secular in the world. What's secular? Things that are anti-Torah. Okay, I could get why you could call that secular. Things that go against Torah. If you're going to call, uh, you're going to call history, even if it has to do with uh, places in Africa that I that I may never visit, or some place in Asia I may never visit. God didn't make that history. Like God wasn't involved in those countries. What's secular? It's holy. Math. You can't learn Torah without knowing math. Impossible. You can learn parts of Torah, but to really get Torah, you need math. The Torah has a lot of numbers in there. And the more math you know, the more beauty comes out of the more beauty comes out of the Torah. It's an incredible. The, and then you get into gematrias and all these things. It's like you see the symmetry amongst everything and how everything beautifully comes together. Everything is a chachbal yaina, which means it's an elevated wisdom. There's nothing secular, really, that uh, that not, nothing really secular out there. So medicine is necessary. Law is necessary, accounting is necessary, stocking shelves, and, and it's kadosh. All these things are holy, a million percent. But it has to find its way back to Torah. And I think that's what Ramesha was responding, is that you're accusing me of using the medicine, even if it was my uncle, I have no clue who shared with him you know, what they're saying in the, in the community of, of medicine. But Ramesha was saying, it, it doesn't make a difference where you're pulling that information from, this is completely Torah, and you have to know how to 
concentrate it, to bring it back ultimately, um, to bring it ultimately uh, all, all back to, to its source. Yeah? No, I was just curious about what in, in Moshe Feinstein's response to this, did, did he, would he feel the need to underscore where the source of word the Torah for this, or did he just leave it as his argument, like, okay, this is Torah? So at the time that he wrote his response, it's a famous response, it has to do with uh, you know, inverts or fertilization. But uh, in his response, he explains his psaq. Uh, in the letter that he wrote to this posseik, he, uh, he didn't reiterate his psaq. He had already given it. Um, his talmidim say that the reason why he did it, it was very unusual for him to like, usually is like, okay, fine. Like, he felt it was a chil Hashem. He felt it was a chil Hashem. And for people to be saying that about Hapsakim and it can undermine um, undermine people following halacha if they if if their real poskim are starting to be accused of of it not coming from a place of of kedusha, not coming from a place of holiness. So you know, therefore he wrote. Uh, you know, therefore he, he was standing up for the Torah more than he was standing up for himself. It wasn't uh, many times where he you know he. Uh, uh, let things let things slip by. Okay, let's just share uh, one more point. Again, there's so much to talk about in this week. Uh, we'll just share one more idea, and that is that uh, in Paraches Pasuket Aleph, just a few verses ahead, Aaron now comes to the Levim to sanctify them. You got to picture the scene again for us. It's like you know, Aaron waved the Levium. He didn't wave to the Levium. He waved the Levium. What what does waving mean? Waving is waving a lulav anesrog. You know how we wave a lulav anesrog? It's learned out from this. What is waving? You have to look at how Aaron waved. He picked up the Levium. He picked up each levy. Picked him up. This, this, this. Each direction. He waved the levy, put him back down, waved the next one. How many? All the levium on this day, he waved all the levium. How many levium were there? 22,000. There were 22,000 levium. So the Chizkuni points out, obviously, it's not nature. This is a miracle. It had to be dealing with... It was done. But it was done in a way that is only capable of when it's outside of time and outside of, uh, outside of space. So the Medrash says this is all done in one day and it was done in all four directions. So the Medrash Tanchuma... So w- w- what happens when you think of this? I tell you, Aaron took 22,000 men... Waved each one, put them down, all in one day. During the daytime. So we have a 12-hour period. What is that, uh, 2,000 an hour? Mm-hmm. Right, 2,000 Levium an hour. So what are you going to be like? What, what, what's your reaction? Not huh? It's not possible. Unless? Even one minute. Unless what? Unless, yeah. Unless something happened. Unless there's some sort of miracle that, right. that, that made it happen. So listen to this. This is how we understand Kairach coming up in a few weeks. Okay? Next week's Shlach, this Maraglim, going to be a big focus on the spies, and then you have Korach. 
who argued on Moshe on the nepotism that he claimed of Moshe appointing iron. So the Medrash in Parshas Korach, Medrash Tanchuma, in Ice Gimel, number three, says that Kairach saw this happen and he saw Aaron wave, he saw this happen. Aaron waved about uh, two, more than 2,000. Almost, um, no, am I right? A little less than 2,000. About a little less than 2,000 hours. Kairach saw this and he stood there and he made fun of Aaron the whole time. And he says, ha, Aaron's waving all the Levium like chickens doing kaparis, right? He's waving all the Levium. Uh, what a lunatic. That was Kairach's response. Now, for us, it's like, how is it possible? If you would see it, you'd be like, wow. <laughs> right. Who's that guy? Right. Kairach saw it. He doesn't say well. He says, this is dumb. Huh? Okay. This is dumb. We'll, we'll discuss that by Kairach, what happened. What happened? And he made fun of it. So you say, hello, Kairach, are you home? Anybody home? What's going on in your head? You see the miracle that's happening right here? You see what's happening? So that's the Musr over here. The Musr over here is, by telling us about Aaron waving the Levium, is you see the blindness, and we'll t- discuss this in a couple of weeks when it comes to Kairach, when it comes to Leitzanus. Leitzanus is, is just, the, it, it's a mida that's inside of each of us. It's a trait. Some in a stronger way, some in a weaker way. But it's a trait of, of scoffing, of, of putting something down that's really, in a, that's really important. That's what being a let's is. A let's is, you know, the Bali Musr say that it, what one good Torah class can accomplish in two hours could be undone in one second. You stand up, like, done. After two hours, all you need to do, person like, you stupid. It'll, it'll ruin your whole game from the shir. It's a fact. Right? You could be like, so on, somebody else, yeah. That's it. Done. It's like, oh, it's not important. That's, that's late sonnets. Late sonnets, we have something good happening, something important happening, and people are just making light of it. You're making light of it. It's, it's an incredible kayach. It's a very destructive kayach. The Gemara goes so far to say that Leitzanim don't have a place in Elam Haba. Because it's just, it, there's no place for that neshama there. Because Elam Haba is a place of importance. You, you, don't, you don't know what Hashivas is. You don't know how to, you don't know what importance here is. What led Kairach, we'll discuss in Parshas Kairach. What led him to this, this trait of Leitzanim. But it was a trait of Leitzanim. You could see the greatest miracles. priest people could seriously have miracles right in front. We could have miracles right in front of us. We have to make sure not to be late sonim. What late sonim is, if we find Hashem doing a chesed for you, doing chesed for me, something chashuv, notice it. Notice it. Take the opposite, right? Instead of being like, eh, not a big deal. So I could see? Eh, everybody could see. What do you mean? Sight, right? You know what sight is? Offer somebody who's been blind to be able to see for a minute. They'll give up everything for it. Just be able to see for a minute. Right? It's like, yeah, sight. No, sight. There's an element of leitzanus in that. You're taking something chashu, you're taking something important, it's like, eh, not a biggie. Mm-hmm. Right? The way to build and come closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is to notice more and to get rid of this leitzanus that's, that's happening. And that's why the Torah points out what Aaron did with the Levium. So we do it's like, wow. Our response should be, wow, how'd that happen? <laughs> right? And when we say, wow, how'd that happen? We just elevated it. 
as a person be like, eh, that looks stupid. That looks dumb. What are you doing? That, that would be an approach of late service. Okay, we'll hold it here for today.